Eugene Peterson, uh, one of my favorite authors, uh, says this. He says, as a culture, we are great at beginnings. We set great goals, but in the in-between, we don't have much to write home about. Things get tough, and we find something new to start. Lifelong formation of the life of Christ in us is what goes on between the moment we realize and accept our identity as Christ followers and the time we sit down to the marriage supper of the Lamb in eternity. You know, it, it's always been an amazing thing to talk to people, and you hear a lot of people say this when they're given their big altar call invitations. They're like, come on down, hit your knee, and if you go outside and get hit by a Mack truck, you go straight to heaven. I'm like, that is a terrible picture. But, I mean, seriously, though, when you think about it, the whole idea of instant eternity sounds great. I mean, the idea of, man, if, if I gave my life to the Lord and the Lord instantly took me home, I mean... What's better than that? I mean, seriously, no worries to think about, no doubt to wrestle with, no fear to struggle with, no marriages to repair, no kiddos to, to think about, no enemies to love. I mean, instant eternity. What a, what a great idea. But you and I both know that that isn't how it works. So what is it in a Christ follower that is supposed to develop in us? The Bible uses the words perseverance and endurance a lot. I would encourage you to go home, open the back of your Bible, go online, whatever, to a Bible study source and put in the words perseverance and endurance and see how many times they show up. It is incredible the call to a Christ follower to endure. And the idea of staying the course is kind of where we're headed as a Christ follower, as somebody who says, you know what, Jesus, this journey I have realized and I have accepted my identity in you. How do you make it? It's, I was uh, talking to one of uh, my friends who's a youth pastor here locally, and he was saying that he just read a statistic that 10% of those in ministry finish well. 10% of those in ministry finish well. And we got to talking about just how do you not be a statistic? I mean, how do you not be that statistic? And uh, I really do think that I want, for me, I'm one of those people who starts at the end and works my way back and goes, how do I get there? And 2 Timothy, Paul says some words that I really am like, man, I would love for this to be what I can say at the end of my life. And then we work backwards from there. And so he says this in chapter four, he says, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. The idea of staying the course, the best that I can tell, kind of started as a nautical term when you were out on a boat. And, and I was reading a, a, a pastor who was before GPS, and he called the star, and headed with the planet, and they, were, and they would do this twice much course correction. They were able to come back, and they were off a little bit, they could come back. And it was usually, but they were able to line things up that way. And that, that idea fascinates me because Dave mentioned the whole idea of staying the course and the pink line of travel and the triangle is your destination. The plane is you, but you have to pay attention to your surroundings. He mentioned wind and magnetic variation of the earth. I have no idea what that is, but I know that it can mess up where you're headed. And I remember I was just sitting there with him going, man, that is a crazy statement and paying attention to the things that are going on around you. 
And so to be somebody who echoes Paul's words of, I have finished the race, I have accomplished it, I have made it, on, to be on your deathbed, to know that my death is near, and to be able to look back on my life and go, I have finished the race that was marked out for me. How does a Christ follower get to that place? How do you and I stay the course? And I believe the, the answer is actually in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It's a very popular verse, but I think that if we begin to wrestle with this verse, staying the course becomes a little more clear. Course correction becomes a little more clear, and it says this, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing perfect. And as I have read this verse and I've sat with this verse and wrestled with this verse, it is very interesting. I just started going, okay, how many times is the word mind mentioned in the Bible? Think mentioned in the Bible. And it is a lot. And what's very interesting to me about that is I wrestle with the verses in Jeremiah in the Old Testament. The Lord says, my people are guilty of two things. In Jeremiah chapter two, and he's talking about people that, you know, the nation of Israel, he says, my people are guilty of two things. They have forsaken me the fountain of living water, and they've dug for themselves broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And what's interesting about that is as I've, as I've wrestled with that, the only reason that I can think of for me to want to pursue other things other than him, to want to trade satisfaction in him for satisfaction in something temporary, to, to want to, to leave the, the thought of, of, of him being everything that I need and pursuing something else, the only reason that I can think of that I would do any of that is because I'm not fully convinced that he is who he says he is. And as Christ followers, we walk in that pretty consistently. Our struggle with sin, our desire for sin, more and more of, of stuff, and, and we get off course, and we start thinking other, about other things more, and we start obsessing over other things, and we refuse to find our satisfaction in Him, I'm convinced that it's because we truly don't believe Him to be who He says He is. And it's one of those things, that's why course correction is so subtle, the changing of the way you think, allowing God to change the way you and I think, is a very subtle thing. It is a very moment-by-moment moment kind of thing that we have to say, Lord, I need you to change the way I think because I am not thinking right. And I just want to add this little tagline. I am not asking you to come up with this think-positive kind of mentality. You and I both know. And when somebody's like, you just need to think positive. If I think positive, I just get angry. Because I know things are not good. And why am I setting myself up with this fake kind of thinking? It makes sense to me. People said it. I've tried it. Because it just makes it. That's not what I'm asking you to consider. This. What I'm asking you to consider is allowing the Lord himself to change think about him and about you. That course correction is something that I see pretty consistently in the Bible. Paul is always writing to the church going, hey, what are you guys doing? You've forgotten all that Jesus did. All that he did, all that he accomplished on the cross, he started it, he initiated it, he's going to finish it. And somehow you think you can handle the in-between by yourself? That's what I'm talking about in course correction. You know, it's interesting, another word for changing your mind, repentance. 
And repentance is something that you and I live as a lifestyle, I hope. Because I am constantly having to have my mind changed about who I think God is and what his plans are and what he's got for me. So I love repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Change the way you're thinking about him. Change the way you're thinking about yourself for the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe on the name of Jesus. Stop thinking that you can earn your way to heaven because you can't. And depend on the finished work of the cross. When I see this changing of a mind that is a constant course correction, constant course correction, I'm amazed at how very little attention we pay to the idea of course correction. I have never met, I don't think I've met a Christ follower who would tell you that they woke up one morning with this burning desire to worship an idol. I don't think I've met a Christ follower who said, I woke up with this burning desire to throw my entire life into my job. I don't think I've met a Christ follower who woke up one morning and said, you know what? I'm going to turn to drinking. I'm going to find satisfaction in something other than you, Lord. That's my goal today. Most people that I have talked to that have walked the very hard road of having that course correction would say that it was a slow process in getting off course And it can be a slow process getting back on course. You know, Dave mentioned that, you know, if you look at the course correction, you're like, oh, I'm only an inch off, baby. That's it, just an inch. Multiply that by a thousand miles, and you and I both know the distance that you can be off in that. It may seem small now, but it is over time that things get out of control. But it is also over time that that lifelong formation of Christ goes on in us. And so this morning, what I'm asking you to consider is the idea of course correction found in this way. It is putting yourself in a place to sit with the Lord. Now, Christians have a, a, a great way of making things sound really lame. We really do. We, we've got the market cornered on making things sound lame. Now, if you're a person in this room who uses the phrase, I'm going to have my devotions with the Lord or I'm going to have my quiet time. I'm not knocking it. Those words don't appeal to me at all. In fact, I think of my kindergarten teacher looking at me going, Jason, do you need some quiet time? (laughs) And my response is, no, I want to play with my transformers. (laughs) But honestly, what, what kills me about that is because in that time with the Lord is when the renewal goes on. And, 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 And to be quite honest, my time with him isn't always quiet. My time with him is more of a, God, I don't understand what's going on. I don't understand how this works. I don't understand your purposes in this. I don't understand how good can come from this. I don't, I don't get it. Sometimes my time with him is, is weeping. Sometimes it's mourning. Sometimes it's conviction of sin where there's areas of my life that are not lining up with his purposes and his plan. Sometimes there's rejoicing. Sometimes there's thanksgiving. Sometimes there's practical instruction found in the word of God that it's, that's what I needed at that moment. Sometimes there's wisdom beyond my days that is found in that time with the Lord. And to let you in on a little secret, sometimes there's days when I just feel like I'm going through the motions. Sometimes it doesn't feel like the way the Lord spoke to me yesterday or the day before or weeks ago. Sometimes it doesn't feel like I came off of a retreat high. Sometimes it's just, Lord, are you even there? I'm here. 
Are we, are we tracking? Are we here together? And sometimes there's moments when I hear other people talking about their time with the Lord and how they sat with him and he did all these things and I'm like, well, mine wasn't like that. I compare myself. And you know, here's what I could do. I could go. I could do what most people do. And they say, Lord, I'm just not feeling it today. I'm just not feeling you. So I'm going to forego our time together and I'm just going to invest in something else. It's a slippery slope when we begin that attitude. When we begin to go, you know what? Lord, I'm just not feeling you. I don't feel. It's time to go back to allowing the Lord to change the way we think about him and ourselves. And what's interesting in that is Psalm 63 has been a verse that I've I've really always loved and just the heart of, of, of seeking God. Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. That's me trusting the word of God going, God, your word is transformative. And even though I don't feel you here, I'm going to trust that your word is correct and that you desire to transform me to look more like your son. That's what this life is about, to look more and more and more like Jesus. For a long time, he says, our final destination, Jason, what's our final destination? And I'm like, "Uh, I don't know, heaven. And he's like, that's a good guess. You're just throwing it out there. Our final destination is to look like Jesus. He says our final location is heaven, but our final destination is to look like Jesus. And you cannot look like Jesus unless you're looking at him. You cannot know who he is. You cannot pursue him unless you're looking at him. And what I would ask that you would consider allowing the Lord to do in your time with him is is you would commune with him. In all the books that I've read of all those who lived in the 14, 15, 1600s, they use this word, commune with the Father. And the other word that could be used for that is they fellowship with the Father. And if the picture that comes to your mind is the fellowship of those guys together around, that's exactly correct. Because they were united in their purpose. And when you sit and commune with the Father, you are uniting with his purpose. That's what I want to happen. So in my my wrestling and my arguing and in my praying and in my thanking and in my, my loving on him and allowing him to love on me, I'm lining myself up with what he desires, not what I desire. And you know, the amazing thing is, slowly those two things become the same. What he desires and what I desire just become one. But it comes with that constant time with the Lord. And I'm not just talking about reading a devotion page off out of an Our Daily Bread on the back of your toilet in the morning. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being very specific and saying, Lord, I, if, I don't, if I do not have you, I cannot be the father that I need to be, the husband that I need to be, the man in the community that I need to be, the leader that I need to be, the, the wife or the husband or the mother or whatever, that I cannot do that without you. And there's something incredible that happens when you begin to sit with him, and it's very simply this. He begins to replace your view of who God is with who he says he is. And I cannot tell you how crucial that is in today's society. Because we live in a society that says, well, my God's like this, or my God's like that, or my God does this, or my God does that. Where does that come from? How do you know? 
But when you begin to sit with the Lord and allow him to change the way you think, it is absolutely amazing what happens in the life of a believer. And I think the greatest example that I can think of in the book of Isaiah, it's an Old Testament book, it's in the, the Old Testament, there's a man named Isaiah who was called to be a prophet of God in a very difficult time where the people of Israel were not doing as God wanted and he had to be the one to deliver the hard message that, guys, we're screwing up, we're not living right. Guys, the Lord is, he's coming and he's bringing destruction because we are not living the lives that we're supposed to be. So you better get ready and everybody just kind whatever, whatever, whatever. And I look at his life and go, how does a man walk that hard of a road for that long? And I believe there's a glimpse in Isaiah chapter six as to why he was able to continue. In Isaiah chapter six, this is what Isaiah is saying. He says, it was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne The train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. They were calling out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, this is Isaiah, it is all over. I am doomed For I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim, catch this, then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, see this? This coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? Then I said, Isaiah, here I am, send me. Now I want you to get the order of this very right because if you get this out of order, you will take Christianity and put it on a level with every other world religion out there. Because notice the order that this happens in. Isaiah sees the Lord. He is broken and undone and realizes I am a sinful mess. Then an angel of the Lord comes and sears his lips with the hot coal and says, your sins are forgiven. And Isaiah's response to hearing the Lord talking, saying, who's going to go for us? Who should we send to these people? You hear Isaiah go, me, whoa, 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 my sins are forgiven, me, 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 I will go, I will do whatever you want me to do, just send me because I'm ready, I'm ready to go. You forgave my sins, why would I not want to go? Why would I not want to be the one who wants to go? Because you just forgave my sins. Notice the order in that. It was not, Lord, 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 look. How about we work this deal out? You forgive my sins, then I'll go. I got a deal for you, Lord. You forgive my sins, maybe I will go for you. Do you see how different? If you get that out of order, you will miss the heart of the gospel, which is where we're headed. Because honestly, to get an accurate view of the Father... You have to look at Jesus. According to the Bible, you can't even look at the Father without Jesus, without going through Jesus. I know those are very hard words for a lot of people to swallow and to chew on, and they're not my words, but they're found in the Word of God. Isaiah had an accurate view of God, holy, holy, holy. In turn, that gave him an accurate view of himself, a man of filthy lips, sinful, Wretched man. In that, he saw the forgiveness made available. And from there, endured to the end.
don't get the order out of whack. It's very interesting because I want you to hear what Jesus said of himself in John chapter 14. He says, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Now, having been someone who's been reading the Word of God for, for several years, pretty regularly, this is where I, if I was Jesus, I would get a little hot with them. Here's me, I've been doing all these awesome things as Jesus, you know, and, and then Philip just is like, dude, seriously, if you just show us the Father, we'll be cool. If I was Jesus, I'd be like, seriously. Seriously, Philip, that's what you've got. That's the question. You want to see the Father. But Jesus is a little more tender with them. Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does work through me. Listen to Colossians chapter 1. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Colossians chapter 2. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. The Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And He sustains everything by the mighty power of His command. If you want an accurate view of the Father, you have to look at the Son. There's a guy that I really respect that's in ministry who's written dozens of books and he says that he's very simply preaches the gospel to himself every day because the gospel is for sinners and he says I am still you know I still sin I still screw up and I need to put my focus back on the cross of Christ that there is nothing but the blood of Christ that allows me to come to the father nothing I come to the father the same way every single time you know what I may have just spent a week on a missions trip woohoo doesn't change how you get to the Father. It's the blood of Christ. You may have had an awesome time with the Lord that morning. Doesn't change how you come to the Father. You come through the blood of Christ. You know what? You may have been out late at night and done something that you completely regret. Doesn't matter. You come to the, to the Father the same way, through the blood of Christ. It does not change. If you want an accurate view of the Father, you have to look at the Son. And it's really interesting because I was, I was thinking through this, and I've had several conversations with my neighbor. Um, and, and he lived in, in western New York in a very, very hard, religious, rigid Catholic community. And it really turned him off to a lot of things about God. And he's just this awesome, he's this awesome hippie guy. I mean, he talks just like hippie. Yeah, I mean, he's like 60 years old. I love it. I love conversations with him. But we began to share our stories with each other and he was sharing all the hard stuff that he had seen and been hurt and all the different things. And I said, dude, my story is similar to yours very simply because my first experience with church, I remember walking in sixth grade, going into a youth group and feeling the cold shoulder of the church and going, if that is what the church is like, I don't want anything to do with it. So it affected a lot of my decisions until I actually started to go, you know what? Maybe Jesus isn't like the church that I saw. And if you're looking to me or if you're looking to Highland or a church to be your savior, here's one thing I promise people. This has come through. I will let you down. I will say something wrong. I will do something wrong. You will be offended by me. I guarantee it somehow. 
And it was when I stopped allowing what I had seen in people to dictate how the Lord really did love me. And I began to look at the cross and I began to look at Jesus and I began to recognize that that man did not come just to be a good teacher. That man did not come just to hang out with some guys. That guy did not come to tell a few good stories, be abused and to die a death that was going to end in death. He came to finish the work of God that God started from the beginning. It was very interesting, too, because I was asked by several people, you know, in playing Jesus for Godspell, which is a crazy, that's a very strange part of my journey in this life. I don't get how that happened. I don't understand why the Lord opened that door. And it's very humbling. It's very, uh, you know, one of those things of how does one play Jesus? You know, I don't get that very, you don't think about that very often. But as I began to read scripture more and more through this whole process, I began to recognize that Jesus saw people through a lens that he is the only thing that they need. When Jesus walked on this earth, he knew that every single person that he was going to come into contact with, that he was the only thing that anybody would ever need. And to walk with that knowledge, you talk about loving people differently, you talk about walking alongside people differently, Children loved him. Women followed him. Men wanted to be like him. There was something different about Jesus. And so this morning, with the whole idea of staying the course, if all you're hearing from me is, would you just sit with the Lord and allow him to transform the way you think? That's all I'm saying. You and I need to repent of the way we view God. We need to change the way we think about him. And like I said, not a think positive, but allowing the creator, the one who spoke us into creation, who formed us with his hands, who spoke all of this into creation, allowing him to transform our minds about him. And when our minds are transformed about him, our minds are transformed about ourselves. Our minds are transformed about why we're here. Our actions are transformed. Everything changes. The more accurate view of the father you get. Everything changes. And um, Romans 12, one amazing verses. It starts out with therefore. Just a quick Bible study tip. If you see the word therefore, always check what it's there for. Go back and see why it's put there. It's just for free. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge witness to the life of faith, doesn't say we're surrounded by people watching us do good things, does it? It says faith. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. You want to know how to endure? It says it right there. We do this. How do I do this? Oh, there it is. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates, he started it, and perfects our faith. He'll finish it. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. It's amazing. 
when our mind is transformed by sitting in the presence of the living God, how things change. When sin seems to be something that's okay, it could be time for a course correction. For those of you in this room, when John 3.16, a verse that is so always quoted, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have eternal life, when that verse just becomes a, eh, might be time for a little course correction. And the way that happens is the mystery to me. The way course correction happens is such a mystery to me. Listen, Philippians chapter 1. And I am certain that God who began the work in you, within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Philippians chapter 2. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be free from all blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. God will do this. For he is faithful to do what he says, and he has invited you into partnership with the Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And Jude, verse 24, says, Now all glory to God, who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. I love the story of Zacchaeus. If you read the, the New Testament, uh, he's a man who's just, according to the Christian songs that we sing, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. That's according to the songs. But Jesus was coming to town and uh, he couldn't see Jesus. So he climbs up in a tree so that he can get a view of Jesus. And Jesus walks over to Zacchaeus in the tree and according to the songs, Zacchaeus, come on down from that tree. I don't know how it goes. I'm just making it up as I go. Because I'm coming to your house today. I'm going to eat with you. What, my favorite part of that story is not that Jesus comes and eats with him. My favorite part is watching Zacchaeus climb the tree. Because Zacchaeus wanted to put himself into a place where he could see Jesus. And I guess the whole idea of course correction, being incremental and subtle, is a moment-by-moment Lord, I just want to put myself in a place where you can transform my mind about who you are, about who I am. Because the whole idea of perseverance and endurance really does scare me because the Bible uses a lot of race and run and fight and persevere, endure to the end. And that fight really is lifelong. And for some of you in this room, that may seem like a long time. For me, that seems like a long time to go, man, I got to, man, that's so long. This is a long time. What's amazing about Jesus is he even told us, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough troubles of its own. You know, today, take care of itself. And I love that because it makes me go moment by moment instead of the long distance. Here, let me give you this stupid illustration. And if you're a runner in here, I really do apologize if this butchers all running training that you've ever gone through at, in life. But about nine months ago, I started running. And here's the deal. I hate it. I hate running. I don't understand runners. My mom is a long-distance runner. She runs marathons. I'm like, you don't have anybody chasing you to tackle you. You don't have a layup to make. You don't have a base to slide into. You got nothing. Why are you running? And what's amazing about it 
is from my house, I mapped out this three-mile course. And I, and I was just like, man, I, 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 love, I love the results of running. I do. I, I, feel, I feel good. I feel healthy. But I remember the first day that I got out there, I was like, I'm just going to start running. I got to start training. I got to start somewhere. And I remember getting out and going, all right, this is awesome. This is awesome. Whoo, it's okay. Whoo, And I was like a block from my house. But when I did that, I began to go, I need something. Because three miles seems a forever. So this is just the way my brain works. I apologize if it's not right, you runner's world people out there. But I just needed something to get to before I could get to three miles. And so if it was a branch on a tree 10 feet in front of me to get past, then that's where I went. If it was a piece of grass 15 feet in front of me, I made it, I made it past that piece of grass. I need another piece because I can't think of three miles right now. Oh, I made, there's a, I made it past that crack. Yes, I made it. I made it. I made it. I was so good. It's so awesome. It's so good. Sometimes I needed like six inches. I need to just make one more step, one more step, one more step. I mean, it was one of those things where that was the way I was thinking. But you know what? Next thing I knew, three miles. You know, and, that, and that's one of those things to where the Lord really related that to me in my journey with him and that it is a moment by moment putting myself in a place to just sit with him, to hear from him, to wrestle, to struggle, to thanksgiving to Lord, please renew my mind, transform my mind by your power and by your spirit. And so for some of you in this, you may need to understand that course correction is subtle. It is a moment-by-moment moment thing. The lifelong formation of Christ in us is a moment-by-moment moment thing. And if you'll be a Zacchaeus, climb up in that tree just to get a glimpse of Jesus, you will find that that growth that Shannon was talking about last week, that incremental growth, will continue and continue and continue and continue. And then, maybe you and I, as the band is going to come and play, can echo these words of Paul. In Philippians, he says, I once thought that these things were valuable. And what he's talking about is his status and everything that he'd accomplished on his own. But now... I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. And this may be where we need to start this morning. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God 
through Christ Jesus is calling us. Some of you this morning may need to allow the Lord to transform your mind about the way you think about yourself. Maybe two different versions of people in here, whether you think too highly of yourself or you think too lowly of yourself. Somewhere in that middle, Jesus meets us and says, I am all that matters. Somewhere in this, our identity is completely and totally hidden in Christ. But somewhere, he makes us more alive than ever. That is the mystery of the gospel. And so my prayer for Highland, for myself, is very simply that, Lord, would you please renew my mind, change the way I think about you, and be who I hear from about yourself. I know that seems so crazy and such a foreign concept, but in a day like today where we live in a world that just likes to create their own gods, whatever I want to worship is whatever I want to worship. It is more crucial than ever that we have an accurate view of who he is, and that comes from the word of God. So this morning, um, the band is going to close with a song, just a time of of response, because sometimes there's this, I just want to respond somehow. I'm going to make myself available here to just pray with you if there's something specific that you're like, I want to respond in this way. I don't know. I don't even know what, what I want to respond with. But we've just wanted to make ourselves available and it's not, nobody's going to do anything or make you fill anything out or go anywhere, but it's just a time for you to respond with the Lord. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for these people. I thank you for this church. I thank you for the heart that you have placed in us. Jesus, I ask that you would be honored here and that, Lord, we would no longer conform or copy the behavior of this world, but we would ask you to change the way we think about you. In Jesus' name, 